want to bring Dr. Samir Sinha, Director of Geriatrics at Sinai Health System and the University Health Work on the show, Health Network on the show. Um, doctor, it's good to have you on. Thank you, Kelly, for having me. Okay, so we had the dubious distinction last time we spoke as the highest rate of COVID-related deaths in long-term care homes here in Canada. This is worldwide, uh, despite knowing that these were the people that were most vulnerable of uh, catching and uh, becoming severely ill and possibly dying of COVID-19. Now, when that data was revealed that 82% of COVID deaths were happening in long-term care facilities, there was collective shock that we weren't prepared. Lack of uh, staffing was cited as a reason, and then the military was sent in. Now, their mission was to get the dangerous, potentially life-threatening COVID situation under control in long-term care. But they reported back on their mission, and we heard just appalling stories of what I think amounts to criminal behavior, of people being put in harm's way, not only of contracting COVID from staff not wearing proper PPE or not having proper training, but also of um, possibly choking to death in some cases, abuse from staff and neglect. Before we get into um, how it's possible that nobody knew it was this bad, I want to run a clip of Mercedes Stevenson just to drive this home, our global news reporter who talked about uh, what that report from the military actually um, brought to light. Everything from descriptions of cockroaches and rotting food, uh, forceful repositioning of residents, residents being fed uh, and having food put in their mouth when they are already making choking sounds, residents being left uh, falling asleep with food in their mouth, residents not being fed and hydrated as they should be, uh, concerns about a lack of proper protocols when it comes to protective equipment, people moving between COVID and non-COVID wards without changing their PPE. Uh, in one case dancing around and making a Taylor Swift video uh, between COVID and non-COVID infected wards. In another case, uh, people were not told that someone had been testing positive for COVID and they were exposed to them without proper PPE. Doctor, I don't know about you, but I'm mad about this. I'm angry. How is it possible that no one knew that it was this bad? You know, it's heartbreaking because uh, um, we knew that these five homes in particular were some of the ones that were most devastated by COVID. Um, and I think when when the government, you know, rightly called the military in, uh, principally to lend um, an extra pair of hands, um, the military are obligated. You know, part of their orders were um, to report any issues that they felt were, um, you know, putting the lives of others at risk, um, their own lives and, and the mission itself. And what they came back with, you know, they didn't go in there to investigate. They just went in to help. But what they bore witness to consistently in their presence um, really spoke to, you know, challenges with staffing that we already knew that existed, but even more deeply ingrained, you know, behavioral issues where staff were saying that they were even afraid to use PPE because of the costs, for example, um, that they were living in a culture of fear and that, um, and that staff didn't even know how to actually use their PPE, which put other residents, um, put other staff, including their military helpers at risk. So this really speaks to, A, the challenges of providing care, not only during a pandemic, but deeply seated issues that clearly existed in these homes and likely many others across the province and, and, and across Canada. But you mentioned that the military went in there to help. That's the job. 
Like when you are working at one of these facilities, that's your entire job. What are you doing? You're helping. You're helping care for people. It's in the name, long-term care homes. I find it really hard to square up, you know, what we're hearing. Like from the Ontario Nurses Association, their president said that they contracted the Ministry of Labor about working conditions in long-term care homes and that the ministry had written few orders and has rarely been on site to conduct physical inspections. I keep hearing about workers tending to 30 patients, uh, having to feed and bathe in an absurdly short amount of time for $15 an hour. And I get that that is a problem. But I also find it hard to square that these same people have not been not only sounding the alarm to their bosses, um, but their bosses are unaware of it, that we have not heard about these bigger problems or we've turned a blind eye. I find it hard to square that payment is somehow connected to your hum- humanity. Well, I think it's all connected. I think the first of all, the, the challenges we heard, the military was saying that they observed the culture of fear. Staff who were afraid to speak up, um, staff who were afraid to use PPE because they'd be scolded, for example, if, if they use that. Um, that really speaks to environments that where right now, you know, if you're a nurse or personal support worker working in, in a long-term care home in Ontario or not any other part of the country, you're getting paid far less than a nurse or personal support worker would make in a publicly funded hospital. So 80% of homes in our province already before the pandemic were operating short of nurses, personal support workers. Those who actually showed up for work often are folks who are new Canadians. Um, they're racialized women. They don't really have many other options. They're caring individuals. But you can imagine that under situations like this where there's not enough of you to provide the care, you're not being supported, and frankly, you're, you're keeping an eye on when you can actually get a job that gives you benefits like sick days, you know, over at a better funded hospital. You know, when we're trying to figure out who to blame, we have to blame, blame ourselves. Because frankly, you know, when we realize now that the math doesn't add up and it just leads to staff under stress, poor quality care conditions. We've all let this happen because we've heard of these dispatches, but we've never put more funding to it. We've heard okay, of these so problems, is but this we haven't about, put more inspections. Is this about ageism or is this about the, the fact that we also uh, don't care about the people working in, in long-term care? Is this a bit of both? It's both. Because first of all, when we created Medicare in Canada, we excluded long-term care. That was 50 years ago when the average Canadian was 27 years and most of us didn't live beyond our 60s. And while other countries around the world started to include their long-term care systems and properly fund them and organize them in in the right way, we never really did. We always left our system underfunded, partly because, let's be frank, we never really cared so much about, you know, 400,000 Canadians who tend to have dementia or towards their end of life. It's almost like we gave up on them. And frankly, we gave up on the folks who were meant to care for them as well. Okay, so what's the fix? I mean, this, I just think that criminal charges have to be laid. The arrests have to be made. We need to rip apart this whole system and and start again. And how do you even go about doing that, especially in a time where we've got 
uh, places on lockdown with COVID-19. I actually, I, I, I want a whole house cleaning of staff. It's just, it's appalling because the military went in and they said that this was going on in front of them. Like it seemed like they, this was normal behavior. And so it wasn't a case of, well, we know they're doing an inspection. Everybody be on your best behavior. Make sure you're, you know, doing everything that you're supposed to be doing because the ministry is coming to check us out. This was a situation where they were just behaving normally for an extended amount of time. You know, I think it really speaks to the fact that, you know, there are so many fundamentals that that needed to be fixed and haven't been. Um, you know, and our premier has, has said that he inherited a system that was broken. And we have several ministers that have said, have over the years, have basically said that the system is broken and we pledge to fix it and it hasn't been. You're right. We need an absolute overhaul of the system. We need to properly fund it. Just like the way we actually have an, a, an expectation, because many of us interact with our hospitals, we expect a standard of care. Care. If we actually had the same expectation, we would say, okay, well, how much does it cost to pay, you know, to actually run a proper system where we're funding, I'm not talking about funding nurses or, or personal support workers more than what we do in hospitals. I'm saying let's get them to where those nurses and personal support workers are so that they'll want to be attracted, they'll want to be valued, they'll want to be supported. And let's make sure that we actually have proper training. Because right now, training mm -hmm. is highly variable for the majority of the staff who work in these environments. And when we don't properly train staff or ensure that they have the right training, we're setting everybody up to fail. You know, I was just thinking if you overhaul the system and we end up paying people what they're worth, we're going to run into another problem. We're going to run into the, the new Canadians that you're talking about. Some of those people that are incredibly caring people that are already staffed in these homes, probably not keeping these jobs. Why wouldn't they keep these jobs? Because I think that there's, if if this is not just a, an ageist problem, if this is also about uh, let's pay them as little as possible because it's not a desirable job, I think you're going to see different people stepping in and saying, I'd like that job, I'd like that job. And I really do think there's going to be another problem. I mean, I, I can't, I, to, to, I don't, to I don't, say I that I, I think we've got some despicable things going on is is an understatement. Yeah, but I think, you know, again, it's it's very easy to point fingers and say these staff are horrible people. These staff are incredibly caring individuals um, who I think. No, that's were not broken. what I'm getting at. You said a lot of them are, you know, coming They're They're uh, new Canadians and, and this is what they can get. And they're hoping to work in a different um, you know, oh, a, but a different me, facility. They could, they could, they, but many of these women could also work at Tim Hortons where they could actually get paid better, frankly. And number two, they have a, you know, these, these folks doing this job have a 600-fold greater risk of actually being injured on the job than they would being a firefighter or police officer. Uh. And so many of these folks actually have options to do other kinds of work, like work at a grocery store, work at a coffee shop. And I'm not saying anything negative about that. But mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is, is we, A, need to attract caring individuals and the vast majority of these individuals are hardworking, caring individuals. We just never treated them well. And when you don't treat a person with respect and support, this is what happens. It's a dismal, dismal picture. Uh, so what would you like to see happen? 
I I know the government has said that they want to do a commission. They want to start that in September. We already have the answers. We already know what we need to do. I'm glad the Premier has come out and said, whatever it takes, whatever the cost is, let's do it. That's always been a barrier that there hasn't been the political will to fund the system the way it needs to be funded to make sure that we actually, you know, allow personal support workers to have the right training, have the right equipment, not be working in a culture of fear. And we've moved to an inspection system that's based on complaints, but it's allowed people to turn a blind eye even more. And so I think we have to really make sure that we have the right level inspection that encourages good behavior, you know, hard work, the right care, and really respects first and foremost the residents and their families who really depend on good quality care being there. I find it hard with this story, and sometimes I can't separate my emotion from the story, but I find it really hard to separate my emotion from this story. I had a um, uh, we have a, a loyal, list, loyal listener named Terry who had a mother in long-term care. She lived to the age of 99 and, um, and passed away. And when she passed away, uh, he said that he got a, a call from the coroner's office and said, you know, there's nothing to worry about, but we, we have to check in. I just, we want you to know that at one in every 10 deaths in long-term care home, we check in on and we investigate just to make sure everything is good. Um, that shortly after that happened, he said, and nothing happened with your mom that was untoward. So it's all good. I just want to let you know, following up here. And after that, the uh, coroner uh, to save, I think it was $900,000 a year. They cut the coroner's investigation of every 10 deaths in long-term care home. Do we need to bring that back? And, and should it be 10 or should it be every death gets investigated? I think the key is is that you know the, the government has been following the advice of the Auditor General, and the Auditor General's goal is to actually save money. Um, that that's what their job is to do, right? Be efficient with our funding. The key is you can't be efficient with the care that people deserve and need. You can be efficient in some ways, but mm-hmm. by reducing inspections, by saying we can save some money here by doing less corner inspections, this is how in a system that was designed to fail, um, we end up shutting our eyes. And sadly, it took the military going into these homes to bear witness, to being brave enough to a serve in the first place for our country, and to show that we're actually killing ourselves. This is the opportunity that now, and we're going to see the report from Quebec come out on Friday, um, and that's not going to be pretty either, I can assure you, that really this is a national issue. It's a day of reckoning, and this is now time where we have to say, what is good care? What does it look like? And let's be ready to fund it, because frankly, we're all going to age. We're all going to need care like this, and I don't think any person out there would wish this care on their own loved ones. Dr. Sinna, you are so generous with your time, and I know that you know you've been sounding the alarm bell for years on these problems. Um, maybe you didn't even know how bad it was, uh, but the problems were there, and the signs were there that we were in big trouble. I worry about our um, convenient lack of memory. Do you really think that um, it, this military report is going to lead to changes? It's got the attention of everyone, but so. But the other fact of the matter is we've already lost over 5,000 Canadians in these settings. And you know what? You know, every once in a while there's a, a case, you know, there's a bad actor, there's a bad home, there's, um, there's uh, a few people who've died. It's hard and almost impossible to hide 5,000 deaths. 
I think, frankly, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the military for speaking up um, and, frankly, doing their duty, right? They, they didn't do anything untoward. They did what they were supposed to do, and they know that if they witness things that are injustices, they have to speak up. They did their job. They continue to do their job and serve our country and serve us, and they've served us a real lesson in truth here that we need to do better. And, frankly, we owe it to the 5,000 people who we've let down and their families, and uh, I'm not going to stop until we get this right.